0: Okay, Shalom, and welcome to this week's um, Think Jewish class. And uh, this is the last class of the year. Um, Rosh Hashanah, starting on uh, Sunday night. So this is the last class of the year, and um, I will give you notice of when the next class will be in the emails. Um, So, this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion, Moses has a very interesting couple of verses to the Jewish people telling the Jewish people that not only is it possible and within reach to be a Torah observant Jew but it is very close to us and it is extremely close to us to um to keep the whole Torah mitzvahs. Let me read to you exactly the words that Moses says in this week's Torah portion, chapter 30, 11, 12, 13, and 14. For this commandment, which I command you this day, is not concealed from you, nor is it far from you, is it far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and fetch it for us, to tell it to us so that we can fulfill it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the, to the other side of the sea for us and fetch it for us to tell it to us so that we can fulfill it. Rather, this thing is very close to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can fulfill it. As you people know, we'll soon mention it, the last verse is the cover page of Tanya. dalta Rebbe says that his entire Tanya, as we'll soon see, is built upon the verse. Rather... This is very close to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can fulfill it. Okay. However, even though we said all of this, I feel it appropriate to share with you here an answer from the Rebbe, a written letter to someone who wrote to the Rebbe that their life was very hard. The Rebbe responded with, and I quote, Show me the contract in which God tells you that life would be easy. Interesting answer from the Rebbe, which tells us, for me this tells me, that number one, that God did make a contract with my soul before it came down into this world. And there are things that God did write into that contract. But that life was going to be easy wasn't one of them. So interesting. For me it's important to know that God wrote this contract, made this contract, Because it helps me through my journey when I get through things wondering what exactly God is thinking. But to know that God has this contract with my soul. Before he came down to this world, my soul came down to this world. Telling it clearly that this is what your job is and this is what I'm providing for the job to be done. For me, that's very important to know. Yet nevertheless, what is the Rebbe saying here? That what's not in the contract is that life is going to be easy. Okay? So, if God didn't promise in the contract that life was going to be easy as a Jew, then what is Moses saying with these words? It's very close to you. Isn't that saying that not only is it doable, it's actually saying that it's easy, like reaching to something that's right next to you. So there seems to be a contradiction between what the Rebbe is saying and what Moses is saying. If Moses was just to say it's doable okay the Rebbe saying he said it's doable he didn't say it's easy but from those words very close to you to me that kind of sounds like don't worry just reach out and grab it it's very close to you so what exactly is Moses saying and to say to understand this on the practical level before we get all mystical about this we need to know the difference between perception Reality and that perception is reality. It becomes our reality. What is it? So on one hand, perception is not reality and reality is not perception. So when we say that perception becomes reality, what we're saying is perception becomes our reality even though it is not reality. Sounds like a tongue twister. Sounds like I'm playing semantics, playing with words with you. But let's really understand what is going on here okay this notion that perception becomes reality for the individual is based upon tonight I'm gonna present that it's based upon Einstein's theory of relativity because when we say perception is reality we're talking about relative to the individual but not from the perspective of the absolute So therefore, in perspective, if I think that this is very hard and difficult and impossible, to me that becomes my reality in my world of relativity. Because possible, when human beings use the word impossible, what do we really mean? When we use the word impossible, we definitely mean it from the perspective of the comfort zone of our world of relativity. When I say this is impossible... I'm not saying that it is impossible what I'm saying is for me in my world of relativity where I live within the confines and the blockage of what I feel is doable not doable comfortable not comfortable willing open-mindedness or not willing or not open-mindedness for me that's the definition of impossible that is in the world of relativity however in the world of absolute that is not so if you want to know what the word imp- what the word impossible outside of our comfort zone of relativity and in the world of absolute, what would that sound like? What is that impossible? When I say impossible, I just really mean somewhere between it's hard, I'm too lazy, I'm just not going to do this. That's what I mean when I say it's impossible for me. What does the word impossible mean beyond our comfort zone of relativity and from the perspective of the world of the absolute? If you want to know what that word impossible means, you should turn to people like Howard Hughes and Steve Jobs. Here you're talking about people that were willing to not live within the confines of the world of relativity of what we feel is possible and impossible. These were people who were set to prove That the absolute impossible is very different from the relativity impossible. And what most people surrender to in the world of relativity to say it's impossible, they refuse to do that. These are people that were willing to say, no, what you think is impossible is the roof you have placed upon your head. Not the roof that God has placed upon our head. So when we're talking about possible or impossible for such people like Howard Hughes and for Steve Jobs, what they said was, I don't want to hear from you what your world of relativity considers possible and impossible. Let's explore the universe of God, the world of absolute. What is possible and what is impossible? And you and I owe both of them and all the likes of such people an infinite amount of gratitude. For them being willing to rip down the confines of perception to absolutely peer right through the perception becomes reality into seeing the real definition of absolute reality. Okay? So, with this being understood, now let's go back to what Moses is saying. So too it is with Moses. What Moses is telling us He's telling us of how it is in the world of the absolute. In the world of the absolute, before the bribery of our personal world, individual world of relativity, i.e. comfort zone, how far we're willing to stretch our open-mindedness, willingness, on that level, before we get bribed by our own comfort zone, Moses is telling us, The absolute fact. And the absolute fact is that it is not concealed. It is not far away. Rather, it is extremely close to you. Okay? That being, Moses telling us that to be an observant Jew. I don't want to talk about affiliations. They really mean nothing. We want to talk about the level of observance. That's all there is. Some more observant, some less observant, each growing in their observance. To be an observant Jew, a Torah observant Jew, Moses is telling us the absolute fact that it is close to us, very close to us, regardless of what economic status we have, regardless of what profession we have, and regardless of what family we belong to. So now we need to understand. The war we have within ourselves about Torah observance exists not in the absolute world but only in our personal world of relativity because in our personal world of relativity we are the sole creators of possible and impossible joy or pain, expression or suppression. Let's just talk about this just practically. Who will define for me as an individual if keeping kosher is suppression or expression? Who will define for you as an individual if keeping Shabbos is being locked up or being able to express your true self? No one but you for yourself and I for myself will define that. Thus, the definition of when we talk about relativity is not the definition when we talk about the absolute. Moses is telling us that the absolute truth is that it is within our reach. It is very close for us to be Torah-observant Jews. The Rebbe is telling us that if we're complaining that it's hard Because we're battling with this concept of relativity in the world where the evil inclination comes to us and starts telling us what's possible and what's not possible for us. What is suppression and what is expression? What is freedom and what is slavery? What is joy and what is pain? What is possible and what is not possible? On that level, God didn't give us no contract that life was going to be easy. What Moses did tell us, it's more than just possible. Now, if we want to knock our heads in the wall and keep on saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. If we want to be swallowed up by our fear, our pain of change, of being willing to be different, of being willing to live to a different set of principles, then it's hard. And God never gave us a contract that it's going to be easy to break through that conniving artist, the evil inclination, who draws for us walls of relativities and makes perception really seem reality. But that doesn't change the reality. For the fact is that any individual who has taken upon himself to, yes, take a step, sees that the minute you take upon yourself that step, it's doable. The Talmud tells us a very interesting parable. Before we deal with it, it seems like an impossible mountain to climb over. Once we face it, truly face it, then on that note, we suddenly see the Talmud says it's nothing more than a shoelace, and we're wondering why we thought it's impossible to step over it. So that's what we're talking about here. Let's go a step further. Rav Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, founder of Chabad, takes it a step further in an entire book of his dedicated to only this one verse. Rather, this thing is very close to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can fulfill it. The Alter Rebbe says that not only is it talking about the world of the Absolute, it's actually talking about breaking free from the world of perception, the world of relativity. The al says that even when the masterful artist, the evil inclination, is conjuring up all his emotional weaponry of fear, pain, anger to seal us within, our perception is reality, creation, it's our own creation, world of relativity is our creation perception is reality is what that creation is all about the artist the masterful artist the evil inclination draws up those pictures with its boundaries which seem to be unbreakable nevertheless he tells us that it is very close for us to break out of the grasp of our world of relativity and embrace god's world of absolute i want to share with you something that's not in my notes something which was just brought to me today by a very special individual. So I'm having this conversation with this person and we come across a line in a book which is really interesting. It says that when we're willing to not only make resolutions but decisions, things happen. And I asked this individual, okay, what is a resolution and what is a decision? She answered me a most amazing answer. She told me that what she heard was, decision kills all other ideas. Right? A resolution leads for the, well, maybe, but maybe. Decision kills all other ideas. There is no more maybe. The Alter Rebbe is telling us in Tanya, how to make a decision, because when you make a decision, not, is, not only is the absolute truth that it's very close, but even within our world, to break out of the sabotage of the world of relativity into the world of the absolute, to be able to say no to the evil inclination, or to say yes when he tells you not to do what you're supposed to do, becomes very close. Okay? Okay? So I want to share with you. For addicts, embracing this is not an ideological, theological, or philosophical question. It is a question of living or dying, relapse or sobriety, and hell or recovery. For the mainstream, keeping kosher, Shabbos, studying Torah, is perceived as a life of spirituality. If desired, it is a luxury available to you. No one really faces keeping kosher as I'm going to die if I don't keep kosher. It's a luxury. It's a spiritual luxury, and if you are brought up in an observant house, it's not a luxury. It's there's no. It's just the way you do it. That's the way you were brought up, and you just keep it. If you're about teshuva, you decided that you know what this is. What I want. I've made it in this world, I've done what I've done, now I want to have a life connection with God, not just spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, but physically, and thus I'm going to keep the physical laws of kosher, the physical laws of Shabbos, yada, yada, yada. However, addicts, they don't have this. To an addict, it's a whole different world. So I want to draw this up for you as an addict would see it, okay? Okay? For an addict, understanding that not using, drinking, or acting out is a question of life or of prison, asylums, or death. Those are the two choices. You either live life or you end up in one of the three solutions, which is prison, asylum, or death. For the addict to see that perception is not reality and that recovery is possible and even close by, here are key words now, if they are willing to make the hard decisions and to do the hard work is what staying alive is all about. You see now how the Rebbe and Moses are not contradicting each other? For an addict an active addiction to believe that recovery is even possible, it's not within his paradigm. Because the concept of addiction is that the evil inclination the disease has so shown you as bulletproof fact that your perception that you are a hopeless addict born that way, living that way and will die that way. That perception is absolute reality. The only chance that an addict has because by him or her it's a matter of life and death is to be able to embrace what we just said perception is not reality and that it is possible not only is it possible it's close by the 12 steps is known to be a simple solution for complex people it's a simple solution it's close by however like the rebbe said god definitely never made a contract with any addict for sure, that it was going to be easy. It's hard work, hard choices, but then it becomes possible. So from the practical, before we get mystical, from the practical perspective of what Moses is saying, he's saying that it is possible. Not only is it possible, it is very close. And what the Rebbe is spicing it up with is that he never said it's going to be easy because in the absolute world it is very close in the world of relativity my own selfish creation of world of relativity where my perception becomes my reality it takes hard work to break through that and thus we now understand what the verse is really saying work hard to break free of perceptions, reality and you get to see the absolute truth of what Moses is telling you. It's really close by. Now that we understood the practical side, Hasidus approaches the bench. Let's take a look at the mystical depths of this verse. Okay? Which actually begins with a very interesting question in 1968. The Rebbe starts off this discourse, this mystical discourse on these verses with a very interesting question. The Rebbe speaks of the undertone emphasis of this verse. Let's look at the words again. Is not concealed from you. Okay, highlight the view, the you. Very close to you. What is this really saying? What they're saying is the statement that Moses is making from the emphasis that the Rebbe is pointing out is that it's not objectively close to you. It's subjectively close. Let me explain what I mean. When I say it's close to you, you know what that would be like saying? Oh, don't worry. For you, this is easy. Which Which pretty much means this is not easy. But for you, it is easy. That's what it means when someone tells someone, oh, you don't have to worry about this. I heard the test is hard. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about this. For you, it's easy. Which means that objectively the test is not easy. Subjectively, it's easy. So all of a sudden, Moses is telling us something very interesting. Torah and mitzvot objectively is not easy for the human race. Subjectively, to you. Moses is talking to the Jewish people to you this is easy it's not concealed i should say the word easy i keep using the word easy it's not easy but it's not impossible it's not concealed it's not far it's very close to you okay let's understand why why is it so why are the commandments on their own right they are concealed far they are not close and why is it that for you, it is so. It is close. It is it is not concealed. It's not far. Okay, to understand this, I want to start with Rosh Hashanah. This week is coming up Rosh Hashanah. Question. Question that's asked in many, many books. Many different answers. Tonight we'll focus on the 1968 Rebbe answer. But this question is asked all over. Why is it that Rosh Hashanah is celebrated on the sixth day of creation and not on the first day of creation. The question takes on an even deeper dynamic because the verse that we say about Rosh Hashanah is This is the day of the beginning of your actions. It's not. Five days prior, God said, let there be light. Rosh Hashanah is the sixth day of creation in which God created mankind. Why do we celebrate the sixth day as Rosh Hashanah? and why is it that we say upon the sixth day this is the day that begins and the answer is given i told you it's it's in many 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 um places is explained however i want to share with you something interesting our sages tell us that on the day that adam was created he turned around to all of creation and he said bo Let us come, let us prostrate ourselves before God, our Maker. When Adam did that, he brought purpose into all of creation. Thus, when we say the words, that zehayom t'chilat masecha, this is the day, the beginning of your actions, we're talking about all of a sudden creation has purpose. Mankind brought purpose to all of creation, so much so that our sages say that the first five days are to be seen as the days in which God was preparing the banquet. Only when Adam was created did the banquet begin. Zehayom t'chilat masecha. This is the day of the beginning of your banquet, meaning the beginning of creation having purpose, okay? So, it gets even better than that. Not only is man the centerpiece of creation in which we say that man has purpose, right? Man has freedom of choice. God created the world for man to choose whether to do Torah or not do Torah, to believe in God, not to believe in God, to keep the seven Noahide commandments, not to. No, it gets much deeper than that. It's not just that all of the world has no purpose and it's man that has purpose, but the job of man is to imbue all of the world, all of creation with purpose. You follow the difference? If I say that man has purpose, then the world is just a proxy place in which he plays out his purpose. But if I say that the job of man is, Adam didn't bow to God. He told all of creation to bow to God. Why? Because bringing recognition of Creator to creation, Adam didn't just do it for himself, but he did it for all of creation, imbuing all of creation with meaning and purpose. Thus becomes the question how is it possible for one creation, one man, Adam, to be able to bring purpose? to all of creation. If you want to tell me that Adam can bring himself purpose by coming into this world and doing the things in this world, that's one thing. But the emphasis here is that not he is the centerpiece of creation, isolated, being the only centerpiece of purpose, but rather we're saying that he is what brings the soul of purpose into all of creation. Now this question isn't just a romantic question. How is it possible that Adam can do this? It's a very serious technical question because in the worlds of Kabbalah, every single creation has its own source. It says every single blade of grass has its own mazal. Every creation has its own source. According to the world of Kabbalah, in the truth and perfection of spirituality, one cannot have a relationship with another who he does not inwardly relate to. So if your source and that source have nothing in common in the perfect world of truth and justice you and that cannot have a relationship. How much less so can you imbue that? Can you affect that? What you could do is things that have a relationship between themselves you can bring out the relationship. Now, if every creature was created on a different level, a different source, how is it possible that man, a specific creation with a specific source, should be able to have a relationship with every single creation of the universe and imbue through its soul every single creation of the universe with purpose? It's just scientifically... I'm talking about Kabbalah's scientific understanding of the spiritual worlds, impossible. So that's really the question. How is it possible? So to understand this, we need to come across a very, very problematic verse in the Torah. So much so that our sages say that God says if you want to through my words, disbelieve that I am one God, I leave the door open for you. That's how tricky this verse is. And God said, let us make mankind. Who is the us? How interesting. Every other creation was created by the utterance of what? And God said, let there be which caused and it was. All of a sudden, when it comes to mankind, let us. That's problematic. Who's the us? In the Hashem Echad, there is no us. There are, this question is asked on many levels. This question is answered on many levels. But I want to share with you one specific teaching. Okay? The source of all creation is basically a verse in the vision of the chariot of ezekiel remember ezekiel has a prophecy and he saw the faces the four faces right he had the ox, the lion the ox the eagle right and then what does he say and upon the seat upon the chair upon the throne there was the form of man what does that mean upon the form of man so chasidus explains that every other creature he had a side for and on the left side and on the right side, what does that mean? What that means is that on the right side is the angel of Michael, the lion, which represents the concept of kindness. On the left side is the ox, Gabriel. Gabriel is strictness. And this goes on and on and on. So every spiritual, every celestial being has a specific spiritual source, which, by the way, Let's go back to a simple story you and I learned as kids. God sent three angels to Abraham. Why three angels? Because there were three jobs. What were the three jobs? Job number one, to promise Abraham a kid, an act of kindness. Job number two, to heal his circumcision surgery and to save Lot from Sodom. That's two acts, but of the same form, compassion and healing and saving. Then there was a third act, which was to overturn Sodom. That's an act of justice and strictness. Now you understand why God had to send three angels? Because if every angel, if every celestial being, the Rambam explains, only has one pi'ula, it only has one form. Therefore, the act, the angel of kindness could not turn over Sodom. Nor could the angel that was supposed to turn over Sodom promised Abraham and Sarah a kid. When God told these words, let us make. According to this teaching, this mystical teaching, it means that God told all the ten emanations because in Kabbalah the form of man has a right, left, and center and has upon his head the supernal crown. So when we talk about let us make make man, He was talking to that image of man, which means the entire system of the ten emanations, including the supernal crown. And what God said was, I want all of you to put yourself into man. This was unprecedented in creation. You know that even the days of creation spell out the emanations. The first day was the day of light. Revelation the second day was the separations of waters justice and strictness and it goes on The Zoah says that when God created the world in the six days actually seven days he created uh, rest But what he says is that these days are the supernal days. What are the supernal days? The seven emotion emanations They are the source of creation It's through them that God created the world God did the creation But it's through them. And thus every single creature only has one form, Maimonides says. And he's stuck within that one form. And therefore no creation can truly be the centerpiece of the universe because they are limited with their relationship to all the other creations of the universe. And thus you now understand that what is different about man When God said, let us make man, God said, I want all the ten emanations with the supernal crown of the two encompassing infinite circular powers, will and pleasure. I want you all in there. Let us make man, according to mystical means, let us make man with all of us. We're all going to get involved. We're all going to have input here. And now we understand that man is the true centerpiece of the universe, because man has within him the entire universe. Not only on the lower levels, not only on the celestial levels, but on the levels of spherot, of the emanations, nay, even higher, on the level of the supernal crown. Now we understand so much more beautifully a very interesting teaching of our sages. Maimonides says that every single person has to say what? Bishvili nivraha olam. For me the world was created. What does that mean now? What it means is that I, only I the human being, can have a relationship and bring purpose to all of the world. It doesn't say that God created America for me. It doesn't say that God created the kind things for me. For me, the whole universe was created. Why? Because I can impact the whole universe. Why? Because I can have a relationship with the whole universe. Why? Because the whole universe exists within me. Thus, we now understand so much more beautifully why Rosh Hashanah is on the sixth day. Because the entire universe was truly created on the sixth day. Because mankind is the centerpiece, the power of purpose. And not only does he have a purpose for himself, but he has the entire universe within him and brings oneness and purpose to all of the universe. Okay? Now let's get to the commandments. One man, 613 commandments. Very interesting that we have a teaching that Rizal writes it down, that the Rebbe brings it down as a law that every single Jew needs to fulfill all 613 commandments. That's actually not exactly the way it sounds because the commandments that are given to a king, because the law is that the king is the heart of the people, when he does it, it's like all the people do it. Other than those mitzvot, every single person has to create, has to, his soul comes down to fulfill and observe all of the 613 commandments. Now this becomes a problem. For those of you that say the entire prayer before you go to bed, you'll notice there are four interesting paragraphs which talks about the ineffable tetragrammaton of God. And it says as follows, If I did this sin, which affected this letter of the tetragrammaton, may it be, so forth and so on. In Kabbalah, all 613 commandments come from the four letters of the Ineffable Tetragrammaton. Now, the Ineffable Tetragrammaton, the four letters make up the 10 emanations. Right? The Yud is wisdom. The He is Bina. The Vav is, is understanding. The Vav is the six male emotions. And the last He is the feminine mystique of kingship. Not only that but even greater than that if you know how a yud is made in the torah it does not look the way it's made in your in your um siddur it's not a block square but rather on the top left corner there's a dot that goes up in kabbalah that's huge that's called the thorn of the yud you can refer to it as the crown because while the yud hay vav hay represents the ten emanations that thorn of the Yud represents the inner and outer dimension of the supernal crown, which is the power of will and the power of pleasure, the experience of pleasure. So what we're saying here now is that the Torah, the 613 commandments, each come from a different letter, a different emanation. Not only that, but even the soul, the will and the pleasure That's the source, the soul of all mitzvahs is that it's God's will and that every mitzvah brings God nachat ruach, which means pleasure. How can one individual, one soul, be told that he has to keep all 613 commandments? You know good and well that the house of Hillel and the house of Shammai were two diametrically opposed experiences because of the source of their souls. Hillel was always lenient because he came from the branch of kindness. While Shammai was always strict because he came from the branch of justice. So we see clearly, even about the greatest sages, it is said that each soul has its revelation. So how can we say that the 613 commandments are obligatory for every single person when each one of the 613 commandments come from very different sources? How can we say that not only is the soul supposed to do all 613 commandments, The way it plays itself down here. But it's even supposed to have the soul of the mitzvot. The way it lies as the will within God and the source of pleasure within God. How is that possible? And now you know. For God said, let us make. Who is the us? The us is the four letters of the Tetragrammaton. The ten Sfirot. The ten emanations. Including the infinite circular encompassing powers of the thorn of the Yud. Which is what? The crown. It's all within mankind. All of the mitzvot, the Jew can fulfill them because they're within him. If they all come from the tetragrammaton of God, which is the ten of the nations, and God told the entire tetragrammaton, including the thorn of the Yud, get into that. I want you to put yourself, that's how we're making him. You're part of the ingredients. Every single one of you. You are to make up the genetic DNA of the soul of man. It's all in there. Now we understand how the, the Jew not only relates to all of the universe, but he actually encompasses with him all of the Torah and the mitzvot. Not only the way it physically expresses itself in the do's and the don'ts, but the way it exists within the bosom of God. And so God willed, and this will cause God's pleasure. And now we understand why Rosh Hashanah is on the sixth day. And now we understand why the Torah and Mitzvahs is close to mankind. However, let's go back to the verses of Moses. The verse of Moses says like this. Okay? It's going to give far deeper meaning. The opening is this commandment that I command you this day. We are told that this commandment refers to the commandment of doing teshuva. That which transcends beyond the tetragrammaton. We're also taught that this day represents Rosh Hashanah. So it is in the Kabbalistic teachings. So you understand that Nitzavim, this week's Torah portion, is always read before Rosh Hashanah. It's talking about Rosh Hashanah. It's talking about doing Teshuvah for Rosh Hashanah, on Rosh Hashanah. So now let's understand something very interesting. Moses then goes on to say, when he tells you that he's talking about Teshuvah, which is the highest level, the Torah is one level. Teshuvah is when you mess up with the Torah, it can fix it, so it must be even higher. And we're talking about on this day of Rosh Hashanah, not just a regular Teshuvah. Now let's go on and see what he says. The precise wording. So let's go over the verse again. It is not concealed from you, nor is it far away. Here's something interesting. In the world of Kabbalah concealed, mechusa represents the concept of pleasure, far away represents the concept of will. So Moses is telling us not only are you capable of having the 613 commandments, he's letting you know what the real absolute truth is. Now here's a little problem. Just because we have it all in us doesn't mean it's very close. It's not on my notes, but let me share. Why do we go to therapists to find out what's in us? Because it's not close to us. Deeply suppressed memories. Not everything that's within us is close to us. So what exactly is Moses saying? You should know that God put it all in you. <laughs> Did you ever hear that, per, that, that expression? You know, when you have to say something nice about someone that you don't really have something nice to say? What do you say? I'm sure that deep, deep, deep down, he's a good person. Well, deep, deep, deep down isn't very close. So just because it's in us doesn't mean it's very close to us. So Moses goes on to say it's very close to us. Why? Here's why. Because I told you that all of the commandments come from the tetragrammaton. Right? That's what I told you. I told you to refer to your bedtime retirement prayers, and it says over there those four paragraphs. However. What I told you isn't the only truth. Because there's something deeper than the name of God. What is deeper than the name of God? The first word of the Ten Commandments. Anochi. What does Anochi mean? I. I is far deeper than God your Lord. Because I has no expression, no definition. By definition, a name is a definition. I call you this and not that because this name defines you correctly. So even though it's the ineffable tetragrammaton, it's a name. And if it's a name, it's some form of manifestation of revelation of God. While when he says I, he starts with the Torah by saying, I'm not just giving you God. I'm not just giving you the Lord. I'm giving you I. And how am I giving you I? I'm giving you I in the sense that I will be God your Lord. You know what that means? God represents the transnational miracles and the source of life, and Lord represents nature. And what God is saying is that within you lies far deeper than the let us make. Because I didn't say let you make. I said let us make. What does let us make mean? It means that I, God, also stuck myself in there. When we say I, God stuck myself in there. What are we talking about? The Anohi, the I. Remember what he told Moses? I am what I am. Don't ask me for a name. If you're talking to the name, then you're not talking to me. You're talking to lower dimensions of me. If you want to look me in the eye, I am what I am. And thus we understand that the verse over here, what did Moses say? This commandment that Anohi commanded you. We're not talking about that the tetragrammaton gave birth to. We're talking about the I. This commandment that I, anohi, gave to you today. And because I gave it to you, because I didn't just place my tetragrammaton in you, I placed anohi in you. Ah, now it's very close. Now that you know that you have the anohi, which in the face of anohi, all is not and equal far and close in the face of anohi and the essence of god is there anything that is not within the essence of god is god not the essence of everything and thus when we talk about the anohi we're not talking about deep 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 down because the anohi is the anohi of deep 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 down and the anohi is the anohi of not so deep 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 down thus everything becomes within reach and thus everything is close In closing. We now understand that God is saying from you it's not far. Why isn't it far from you? Torah mitzvot is far from mankind. Mankind is the process of the seven emotion emanations. The Torah is the process of understanding and wisdom. Greater than that. It's the experience of will and pleasure. Greater than that. It's Anochi. And that's why Moses says, this is not within the close by to all of creation, but to you, in which let us make mankind. I put in all the emanations with the supernal crown. Not only that, I, the Anochi, yeah, it's all in you. So in closing, we all know the famous parable Rabbi Kiva gave of the Torah and the Jews that the Jews being in Torah is like fish in water right? You all know the famous parable. Just tell you quickly the story. When they asked Rabbi Akiva, why are you studying Torah and teaching Torah publicly when the Roman emperor said it's punishable by death to teach Torah publicly? And he answered with a parable. There were fish quickly running around, swimming in a panic. And the sly fox asked the fish, what's going on? You guys all seem so nervous. He said, don't you know? The fishermen dropped their nets. So the fox said, oh, so why do you have to be in the water in the danger of getting caught? Come out, stay next to me. We won't get caught. And the fish answered, foolish fox. In the water, we have a chance. Out of the water, we don't have a chance. And thus became the famous parable that the Jewish people and Torah is like fish in water. However, tonight, we went much deeper than that. Tonight, we're not saying that fish you belong in your water. What we're saying is, people, be yourselves. That's what we're saying here. According to this teaching, for the Jew to live all the expressions of the ten emanations, to live the power of will, to live the power of pleasure, to live in that four cubits in which God placed His eye, that's not a fish in water. That's daring to be yourself. A Jew daring to be himself is to live the life at level of growth of yourself of Torah and mitzvot. People, is Shana Tovah.